Spear Podcast. For those of you who don't know, we are a firm of lawyers in Auckland, New Zealand, with a particular passion for all things local government. I'm Nathan Spear, a partner of the firm, and I lead the regulatory team. The idea of a podcast has been bubbling away in me for some time now. I love the format because you can catch up on interesting topics while walking the dog, doing the dishes, or just getting some exercise. We have such an amazing client base of council people and I thought it would be really cool to bring this network together to discuss and debate interesting issues facing local government in this country. I'm recording this on day one of the official lockdown for COVID-19 and that's really what's prompted me to get it off the ground. I have to stay home and so do all the people I know. So what better time is there to start a podcast that aims to bring people together? The plan for the show is to invite interesting people in to discuss hot topics facing our council community. There will be a range of people, backgrounds and areas of expertise, everything from building, RMA, communications and a few surprises in there too. It's going to be fun and feel free to let me know if there's someone you think has a particularly good story to tell. Speaking of stories, these interviews won't all be work-related. I'm really keen to hear about people's passions outside of work too. From undercover musicians to warriors' tragics, I want to know what puts smiles on our clients' faces. So for our first episode, I'm really happy to introduce you to Ian McCauley. Ian is the Building Assurance Manager at Tasman District Council. He's an all-round good guy with strong opinions on a number of subjects, from natural hazards through to CCC timeframes. And on top of all that, he wants to buy a Triumph and ride across Australia. Now, there's only one problem with that. He hasn't told his wife yet. I had a lot of fun chatting with Ian, and I hope you enjoy this interview. So Ian, thank you for being our first guest on the on the Rice Spear podcast and being a bit of a guinea pig. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And I see, although the audience won't see this, but you are sitting on your chair in your dressing gown. And well, I'm very glad you they won't see this. That's for sure. Um, I, I can I can assure you they won't. I'll, I'll do that for you. <laughs> hey, um, before we start, can you just Look, this is a podcast for, for council people, so a lot of the listeners to this will already know you, but for those who don't, can you just introduce yourself and, and tell us you know, who you are and what you do? Um, my name's Ian McCauley. I'm a building manager currently at uh, Tasman District Council. Um, so I've been in local government now for about nine years, starting at Auckland Council for about four and a half years. And then I went to Kuiper District Council as manager for four and a half years. So I've been down in Tasman District Council here about uh, um, just about seven, eight months now. And what prompted the the move to Tasman? Oh, probably a couple of things. On a personal level, um, um, we uh, my wife was finding it a little bit difficult in Mangafai being a sort of a small place, not a lot to do. Um, and we weren't, we're not really beachy type people. Um, I, can't, I moved up to Mangafai um, really for the job uh, as, a, as a career sort of a move. Um, and I really enjoyed the You know, it was a great decision. Enjoyed it. And, um, but I left there. I think I, I think I found myself just repeat, repeating a lot of things. I felt as if I'd really done what I could there. Um, and I wasn't. I guess I wasn't challenged as much as I would have liked to have been. So the opportunity came up for Tasman District Council, which is twice the size. So mm-hmm. I um, um, heard a lot of good things about the district and we all our kids had left home. So it was a, sort of a bit of an adventure really as well. So, and I mean, Tasman's quite a unique region as well in the sense that ge- geographically it's so wide and you've got to cover a 
a pretty decent area. How's is that a bit of a challenge for you? Oh, absolutely! It's an exciting challenge. It's a unitary council. Um, there's some ex- enormous um, positive uh, things that I'm really enjoying. For instance, having a, a, a scienti- scientist, a group of uh, a scientific department in house, and you know you've got the um, um, all sorts of uh, you know whole massive uh, group of engineers and. Um, so, so the resources that are available are really, really good. But you're right; the area is vast, um, and um, yeah, they have uh, they certainly have their own set of unique challenges. Um, so, but I'm enjoying it. Well, that's always always good to hear. Now, you mentioned um, Kuiper, and I that's that's where you and I met, uh, and. We were involved in quite a unique case, weren't we, Ian? <laughs> we certainly were. That uh, uh, will stand out um, for me for a long time, I think, as being uh, um, something to uh, reflect on. And uh, I sort of uh, had a enormous lessons uh, that were um, about very valuable, a very costly uh, exercise, of course, but it was extremely valuable. Oh, not, not that costly. Come on. It was... <laughs> Value for money. <laughs> well, well, you know, to be honest, you did, the, the, the great, you did, you guys did a very good job. We were exhausted with it, really, and frustrated with the um, uh, going around in circles. Um, and um, but um, you know, the outcome uh, was a, a pin, the pinnacle, really, of my compliance. Um, the the, the um, experience that I've had in compliance, anyway, that, that stands out. Um, and yeah, we'll, so that, for a long time, I think. So this is um, for those who don't know. This is it's a, a case you can go and have a look at on the on the internet. It's a reported decision, um, Kuiper District Council versus Matthias Helmer Hertzka. Uh, the the sentencing notes of Judge Smith um, dated thirty January are, are, are worth a read because uh, this was the first. As far as I'm aware, the first sentencing decision ever on someone who'd failed to comply with both an interim enforcement order, but more importantly, a dangerous building notice um, using a dangerous building and uh, uniquely uh, a charge under 369 of the Building Act of, of knowingly making a written statement that was false or misleading to a council. And I think that's quite an interesting point for, for people to know. Can you just explain the background to, to what that charge was, Ian? Um, goodness, where do I start? Um, that particular charge, the fraudulent charge. Yeah, I, look, yeah, most people know what a dangerous building notice is and what what you need to do in response to a dangerous building notice. But that that three six nine of the Building Act is very rarely used. So I think why don't we just have a chat about that? Sure. Um, so uh, the. Um, so are we talking specifically about when he when he was discovered when it was um, yeah yeah um, yeah well um, we were looking at everything that this uh, person was giving to us and any information that he was given to us with a very fine uh, lens based on uh, uh, the continued and repeated um, uh, deceit that was becoming really really obvious. And um, so everybody, everybody was very, very finely um, prepared, and uh, we were always uh, regularly communicating. And uh, information came in uh, by um, my team leader. Actually, um, started to recognise the signature on a document, and um, found that she'd seen that before. Um, so she compared the signature on a producer statement with a um, with uh, the a signature of the, um, the, the the offender the offender, and it was identical. And then that um, provoked her to dig up a little bit more, a few more documents. And before um, the day was out, she'd found about three or four documents that were um, all the same. So it became apparent that he was. Um, Forging documents because he was submitting um, uh, he was submitting a new consent application to try to muddy um, or to, well we felt he was trying to prepare um, a, uh, a a consent application so he could make out to the judge that he was actually trying to comply with our request when all he was really doing was um, just um, 
submitting the same information that had been rejected previously. But as a result of this new consent application that he submitted, that sort of triggered a close look at the documents he was providing. And um, one was a PS4, I think, and uh, there was another one that was a PS3 and there was record of work. And so there was, um, yeah, it was to our delight. We um, forward that through to you, Nathan, and uh, your team. And uh, you did uh, a lot of work in, um, in uh, you know, review, reviewing mm. those documents and examining where we were and what the best uh, best approach was. Yeah, and, and look, I, I remember providing advice around this because it, it surprised me that the maximum penalty for a, an offence of misleading a council officer under the Building Act is a, is a fine of $5,000. Now, something like this where a person's forging documents on purpose trying to manipulate and trying to mislead uh, I, I was quite interested to look at whether the police might want to be be involved or, or crimes act charges might have been available but um, we didn't go down that route and, and I'm just looking at the the sentencing notes now and uh, the the judge there took a starting point of of four thousand dollars for that offence, which is 80% of the maximum penalty. So that's was actually a really good result. And the judgment itself is, was a good result. The, um, in, in total, there was a fine of, um, of 30, yeah, 30 grand and 90% of which goes to, to the council. So that's was pretty high up there. Yeah, well, um, I, I still remember being uh, incredibly disappointed that um, Kaipra Council uh, chose not to proceed to, um, you know, get charges laid as a, as a council uh, under the Crimes Act um, because um, we had such a, we, we all felt we had such an incredibly powerful, strong case. Um, and we, um, you know, based on the advice you'd gave, given us and uh, we uh, didn't really have a lot of um, uh, confidence that the police would take it up, and uh, which they still could have done um, in, in conjunction with uh, with the, with the building act. I understand. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I suppose the, the tricky thing is the police have have got plenty on their on their plates already. And um, when you when you're talking about a building act or a, a building offence, it's obviously not high on the priority list for for police. But look, good result. And the key with with all compliance and enforcement is to try and deter others from from doing the same thing. And in this case, not only did you get a good fine, the the house has been completely removed. So um, really, it is a, a, a problem solved and hopefully a bit of a message to others that don't cause this sort of problem in the future. Yeah, definitely. It was, um, you know, we were getting a lot of flack from the community uh, that, uh, you know, so, so, uh, after a while the accusations started coming in, coming through that we weren't doing our job and we weren't, you know, he was, this fellow was uh, continually, um, uh, well, he, he, he felt that he had a free licence really because every time we issued him with a notice, um, he'd change ownership or, you know, he was just trying to complicating complicate the... Uh, whole process so that um, we had a, 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 um, a lot of um, timelines to go by, various notices expiring and then for six months we're, we're um, you know, we're expiring. So, um, yeah, he was he was deliberately making it really complicated for us. Um, so. Is that, obviously this was an extreme example, but there are plenty of other people like this, aren't there, around who... You know, do their best to, to try and get in the way of a of a council and and or compliance um, mechanism. Oh, absolutely, and and I'm finding that uh, unfortunately, when you get a um, sensitive political subject such as tiny homes, um, the media is one of our biggest problems because um, the media tend to run. Uh, they love to bag council, and they tend to um, use um, sort of. Um, uh, half truthful stories and publish them, and um, you know to um, to make out that we're not, um, you know, we're, we're heartless. And yeah, that's the, that's the tricky thing. I think as a as a council, you wear so many different hats, and 
you, you can't please everyone. That's just the reality. But let's not get into tiny houses. I'm actually going to try and see if I can get Bill East on on this this podcast to to have a chat about tiny homes because I know how passionate he is about the subject. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, I, I, I mentioned that um, specifically in Bill. I've got a I've got a very very high profile one now that it involves, always involves the councillors, the mayor and the chief executive. Mm, yeah. and so, um, you know, um, the determination that came, uh, that was over, overturned, um, everybody's taken advantage of that. And uh, it's got the picture in the paper, you would have seen it, Muhammad Akbar. Um, and he's, meanwhile, uh, since he's... Um, Apparently, or he thinks he's sort of been emboldened by the outcome of the of the appeal. He's built a whole lots of stuff around the home to make it even more more a building than it ever was. So, anyway, think, I'm sort of wandering off down that track again. Look, look. Fi- final comment on Tony Holmes that I just say is that it's really important that you that people read that judgment because. I've seen it misquoted many times, and it's um, normally by there are a couple of people who who uh, are very vocal on the issue of tiny homes, as you well know. And each of these, it's not a precedent to say that every tiny home is not a building. It's not a precedent for that. It, every consideration is a is a case by case basis, and that's what needs to be done on every tiny home. But we will get to tiny homes uh, on on another day. Hey, I just, I just wanted to ask you, so you, you've said you started at Auckland uh, and obviously you went up to Mangafai, but what was it that really got you into local government? What what interested you in the in the subject? Um, well, to be brutally honest, I, 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 I had, I'd become quite crook as a builder. I'd built, built for 25 years and um, I got quite sick. Um, so I had cancer actually. It came right, but uh, I just got so sick and tired of building. And um, it was pretty much a natural progression for me. So it wasn't as if I thought, oh, that'll be, I'd just love to do this job. It'll be wonderful. I just thought that was what you did when you, when you got older as, a, older as a builder, when you got crook, you went, went in and became an inspector. That's kind <laughs> of, that's where, how, it, how I started. But um, very quickly, uh, uh, in 2011, actually, it was September when I joined Auckland Council, um, within a few weeks, I thought, man alive, I wish I'd done this 10 years, 10 years earlier because uh, I just loved it. Um, and um, I really, really, I, I just, I tended to do quite well as an inspector. And I think within about three years, I was a team leader um, in Auckland there and on, in Takapuna. Um, so, yeah, I, I just loved it, really enjoyed the work. Yeah. yeah. And have you? What changes have you seen since two thousand eleven, and and how, or building teams in particular are operating? What what are some of the key changes that you've noticed? Um, I think the, I think the the massive pressure that has uh, through the housing um, uh, shortage has 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 been a very very heavy. Um, uh, influence on BCAs to really think carefully about their processes and systems. Um, the digital uh, movement has been um, probably the biggest single change I think that I can think of, um, and the the you know the uh, various market options for PCAs uh, to go to. Well, just, just just talking about that in, in particular, I mean, as we record this, we're in day one of lockdown for COVID-19, and, and but for the digitisation of that process, uh, what, what would the, any building team around the country be doing? You're dead right. I hadn't uh, thought about it quite like in that light um, uh, now, but, but uh, uh, you know, the fact that we can, uh, you know, we can process an application from submission uh, all the way through to CCC now and, and, and even to be fair even some of even though the inspections are the are the hardest hit um, component of the BCA uh, responsibility now um, there are a lot of things that we can do um, and uh, you know we've got a reasonably good training um, digital training sort of 
procedures and processes that we can do. So, uh, and they're regulated. We have to do them so that we, we can claw back uh, some of the time that the inspectors can do uh, uh, in that space. But but in particular, the, the building community as a whole, uh, applications are still for sailing in the door um, and they will be for some time because architects can still work. They can yeah. work from home and uh, prepare applications. I mean, people can still communicate to architects. We, well, we're doing it tonight, Zoom. Mm. Uh, that's what we're doing together. Uh, council, uh, Tasman Council are just going through a major um, digital transformation now to go to Office 365, which is, for me, was quite ironic because Kuiper were on a, an identical journey going to Office 365 and they were using the enterprise system, which was magic, uh, which is the same as Tasman here. So um, uh, the, the, the transformation and the ability to work remotely, I think, is, being, is going to be, you know, this is going to be a major positive that's going to come out of what's happened. It's, a, it's quite fascinating that this lockdown, which has happened, you know, within three days, I've got the whole processing team is now working way nicely at home. Um, and I think out of this, the whole industry across the country is going to be challenged with regard to flexible working arrangements. Uh, many are going to be, we, we're forced to test it. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of positives that are going to come out of that. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think that's, that, that there are going to be many positives, not only for the, uh, for the uh, local government building control, but also for um, you know, applicants and designers. The old builder's going to be struggling a little bit, though. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, yeah. You, look, you're you're absolutely right, and, and it's the same in the law. We we got the call on uh, on Saturday, or made the call on Saturday to to have all our staff working remotely, and we're we're quite lucky. in, in the year, in the last year, we've transitioned everyone over to, to Surface Pros, and now we ditch the landlines and and all of our stuffs in the cloud. So, but it's incredible how quickly and how people can adapt and all, all of our team meetings are now happening like this via zoom and it's only taken two days to get people used to it it's quite uh everyone's very resilient i have to say they yeah they are um and um i uh, we we got a um email various emails from the chief executive um just just tonight and you know within three days we've got 250 odd people that are all working from home yeah, it's incredible. Well, hey, one of the things I'm quite interested in is because my practice is both the Building Act and the RMA principally. Uh, I, I'm really interested to hear how Tasman inter interfaces those two disciplines and whether there is a, a, a crossover or, or whether the two sort of sides of the practice are, are siloed. Oh, very much the latter, unfortunately. Um, Look, there's an ongoing, I've noticed this all the way from Auckland to Kuiper and down here, uh, there, there is a side, I mean, the system we use, the Alpha Objective um, Consenting System does bring together uh, some kind of um, some kind of semblance of, uh, of consistency between the, an application comes in and and the, the system uh, pulls both disciplines together to look at it, and, but it's very poor. Um, you know, from from start really from uh, from the from the beginning all the way through to the end, it's not not a good. It's not it's not well understood. The community fails to understand the difference. The vocabulary is poor. Um, you get advice given, and the people forever tend to be using the word consents consents to people and not distinguishing that they are actually resource consents they're talking yes. about. I mean, we, a classic example of, the, of this, um, uh, you know, this tiny home I was telling you about, his main excuse was that he came in to get advice from a planner and the planner says, oh, well, I don't think you need a consent for that. You know, you can go and do this. Well, he didn't use the word apparently. And I, he, and I t tend to believe him because I heard the same planner use the same term without, without defining that it's a resource consent. So there's a lack of understanding uh, in the in the community uh, between to distinguish between those two major pieces of legislation and the language and the unity um, is, is pretty poor and um, there's a lot of work that can be done um, you know when people come in for um, for um, 
um, preliminary preliminary meetings, pre-lodge meetings. They go and see the planner. There's not enough unity between the um, disciplines. Definitely, it's poorly siloed. I, I, look, I can't speak for all councils. Some problem. Some may have got have you know pretty good stories to tell, but I haven't. Uh, you know, I, I can see it, lots of opportunities uh, to try to um, bring those uh, disciplines to work together far more efficiently um, so that they will be better understood and how those how they apply to applicants mm. yeah it's it's really I, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there when when someone goes out to site and and sees a council person they just see a council person right uh, the, uh, the the mem- the public doesn't distinguish between those two pieces of legislation so uh, why do we in-house yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, you know, the the, the acts. The, the, there is a lot of just. Uh, um, I, I suppose the acts sometimes don't cross, don't work together very well. Yeah, um, you, you've yep. got the section thirty-seven, of course, but uh, you know, we we're not. We have to issue the. For example, one of the biggest problems that a lot of councils have is the timeframes. You know, we've got to issue the building consent within 20 working days, and so does um, a planner. You know, has to issue the, um, you know, do the planning check, and within 20 days they've got to make a decision. And um, and unfortunately, because the down here it's pretty pretty bad, and that people don't apply for a PIM, and when they don't apply for a PIM before the building consent, they just lump it all in together and say here you know you can do a planning check and the building um, processes do a building um, processing check and uh, measuring it against the code and the planners do a planning check and measure the application against the uh, district plan all within 20 days so you've got everything all bottlenecking down to this um, one application that's been, that's come in the door and how much more smoothly would it be that if people applied for a project information memorandum first because that triggers the planning check and that also identifies any planning breaches that may affect the design, that may have to alter the design. And, of course, one of the major problems that is across the country now is with natural hazards, you know, the rising sea levels and groundwater rising and land becoming not not uh, more subject to a natural hazard that wasn't before. Um, but now that the planning has to take into account the 50-year and the 100-year, um, um, you know, meter, the metre rise in a 100-year. And so people who throw their building consent together, the designers, chuck it in to get it assessed. And then we've had, we've had uh, a number of applications now. We, we, we're able to issue the building consent, but the um, planning refuse. They can't. Yeah, or, they, or they find out too late that they're subject to a natural hazard and they can't build on the land. And meanwhile, they've spent an exorbitant amount of money on the design. Yeah, and the, I, I have to say we have noticed the increase in people coming to us asking for advice around natural hazards. It's it's been something that's really popped up in the ne- in the last year or so. Yeah, yeah, mm. no, it's. Uh, it's 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 huge. It's happening here, huge. And the answer, really, for me, is if we can get applicants and to developers actually to understand that before they, when they get when they go to their designer, when applicants come to a to a to a developer, or or, or developer goes to a designer and saying, well, we've got a client, we want you to design this house, and before you finish the building consent application, we want you to apply for the PIM first. And get that PIM application because they only need a few pieces of uh, a, a few pieces of paper, a few uh, you know basic, very basic plans to apply for a, a PIM. And when they apply for a PIM, that triggers the planning check. And and they say, and meanwhile the designer can carry on for the next six or seven or eight weeks or however long, getting all the building consent application together. But meanwhile, keeping an eye on what's going on with the uh, with the planning check. And and that will identify any natural hazard, mm. um, and 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 um, stop that they need to stop the pro, you know stop the project and, and until they are sure that they're going to actually get uh, be able to build on the land because some people assume that section seventy two 
is, is, is somehow a, a, a right. You know, that, that council has to issue the building consent with Section 70, but, 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 but they don't. You know, it's, it's discretionary. It's, the words are, if it is reasonable to issue um, the building consent with a, a notice on the title to register the natural hazard on the title and to issue a waiver of the, of the building code or a waiver of usually it's to do with flooding. Uh, sometimes it's to do with subsidence. We've had uh, quite a bit of that. But unfortunately, because they pull it all together and they don't come and see council, they don't follow that process, then they get um, it, it all comes unstuck pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And there's enormous pressure with planners building processes, waiting on planners to get the DC done, to get the planning check done because they're, they're on day 18, 17, 18 and they haven't quite got the resources to get the planning check finished and we're not allowed to withhold the building consent based on the RMA check and all of this sort of thing happens. So, that's again, that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to, if somebody can crack that in their community, in their design community, which I'm, I'm actually working on at the moment, uh, when I get to it, it's that, that area where you can actually make significant improvements about how applications are lodged. The old subdivisions are, are not a, not normally a problem where you get massive piece of land. You know, that's well known what zone it's in, what area it's in. So I'm talking about those pockets, those areas of land where um, people really don't know what uh, the district plan um, is going to, um, you know, how, how that's going to apply to them. Yeah, look, I, I think a an episode on natural hazards might be a good idea. And I, I know there are plenty of people who have some strong opinions uh, on the subject. So it's a, a note to self that I think that's, you, you've you've given me an idea for the, the next episode perhaps. But look, the reason I have asked you to come on this, on the show is, is not only because I, you know, I, I enjoy the, catch up and enjoy the chat but also there's a there's a little wee issue that's uh, been simmering away for you for a while and I know because I've had a few phone calls from you about it and I, I thought it might be a good opportunity for you to um, raise it and let's see what what happens when uh, this this goes to air and, and if, if anyone wants to give me a call and say, no, Ian's wrong, I'm coming on the show to, to, to argue with him. That, that sounds great. It'll be the first argument on, on the podcast. Yeah. But um, do you want to just outline the issue for us and, um, and let's have a chat about it? Sure. Um, the issue in, 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 a, in a summary is that um, MB have decided that um, a final inspection uh, does not that 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 is not um, does not affect the uh, stopping of the clock. In other words, if somebody takes a building consent out and there's a list of inspections, um, it always includes a final inspection. And if somebody, um, if an owner submits a CCC application and they haven't had a final inspection, the clock starts because the owner believes that the work has been completed. And um, and because the owner believes the work is completed, there's a section in the act that that sort of says um, yeah, you know that the owner must submit um, a uh, code compliance uh, certificate application as soon as the work as soon as practically as the work is, is completed. But um, my issue with that is that the decision as to whether or not the work has been completed in accordance with the plans and specifications. It's not the owners to make, it's the Building Consent Authority's decision to make. And the re- reasonable information that we need to assess that decision and make it is the final inspection. And so MB decided that no, they believe that uh, the clock starts, and yes, um, you know, it can be taken away and, 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 and it sort of kind of changes whose responsibility it is to do the chasing or the booking. So because the clock's ticking away, we have to, you know, contact the owner and say, look, book your inspection. And they only might have gone away on holiday for two months. And I've heard, heard a technical expert so that, that when I was contending about this with him, I see, he said, yes, well, the clock goes over. You can't do anything about that. So it's kind of turned, it's turned the tables as a result of that. And what's really frustrating is that um, we, we've spent an enormous amount of time and resource to 
fluff around and get our systems and processes and clock stops and clock starts and every consent application that comes through the door requires a final inspection. And, and to me, it just defies common sense that that is not, should not be regarded as reasonable information that the Building Consent Authority needs to make the decision. And to me, it hinges around, around one thing, and that thing is that whose responsibility is it to make the decision whether the work is finished in accordance with plans and specifications. Well, we would all agree that that's the Building Consent Authority's decision. Well, if it is a Building Consent Authority decision and we need a final inspection to actually assess that and make that decision, why should not that final inspection be classified and included as reasonable information that we need? And if the owner, whose responsibility it is to book that inspection when that work is finished until it unless it goes to the 24 month or, you know, where we, you know, 23 months where we send them out a notification to remind them and follow them up, which we would, which we do because our, our systems and processes are designed that way, until, and, and, until that happens, um, then uh, it's, 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 a, it's, a real, it's a real mess. Now, there may be some that have got everything sort of sorted out and, and in line, but it still doesn't, change the fact that um, uh, it's cost an awful lot of money and to sustain it, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult. To, 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 it's just messed it up. Um, I, can, I can sense the, the passion in your voice here. This is something that you've thought about a lot, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I still believe it should be challenged and changed. So, yes. so, think- so on, the, on that, um, now I know that you have you know, sort of aired this with your your peers around the country, and ha- has there been sort of conflicting views, or is everyone on the same page? I mean, we don't have to name names here because they'll probably be listening. But um, yeah, yeah, we, is there a difference of opinion? Um, it was very disheartening for me because um, I sat around for with about fourteen or fifteen of them. Some of them probably listening now, but I don't really mind. And uh, names and everybody agreed that it wasn't acceptable. We all had a bitch and a whinge about it. Thought well, this is nonsense. We can't let them get away with it. You know what are we going to do? And so the suggestion was made that we get legal opinions. So there was an agreement with fourteen to fifteen uh, BCH. Uh, to be fair, not everybody. Had, a, had an opinion, but if they maybe they didn't really think it through or wanted time to think about it. But the, the, the point is, is that we, we generally all agreed that we would get uh, uh, two to three legal opinions as to whether or not we should challenge us. It was the opinion of some, oh no, well, you know, we don't want to, you know, let's choose our battles. But the problem is, is, is that if you, if, you, if you don't turn, you know, I don't think people realised what sort of trouble this was going to cause. It just caused us an awful lot of trouble. But um, so there was an agreement to get uh, to get three, two to three legal opinions, um, and we got those three legal opinions, and uh, they were all concurred that uh, that it was reasonable information for a building consent authority to uh, have a, a final inspection. Uh, before the clock could start, regardless of whether the CCC application had been submitted. Now, yes, the CCC application is submitted, it starts the clock, and if you do the final inspection and fail it, then the clock gets reverted back to zero and all that jazz, but all of this has just complicated it and become become a mess. So there was an agreement, and we got the legal opinion, and then um, um, I don't know what happened. They um, all suddenly everybody ran for cover or disappeared and said no, um, no, no, went ahead and um, altered the system to to come up with a process that took ages for IAMs to accept it and they were going around dishing out GNCs to various councils. But I think it was just a shame. Um, we, we did agree we should have gone with it. We might have lost in the end, but, hey, we would all know. But I'm still back there and I, as far as I'm concerned, um, I think that uh, I'm quite happy to pay for it uh, ourselves out of my budget. Um, and so um, I like your idea of uh, getting a determination together, 300 bucks uh, to get to run it, and it'd probably be the same lawyers that, that have been advising MB as well on this whole matter, so we'd probably lose that. So, you know, I, I would uh, 
um, be prepared to go to the district court. I'd probably have to clear it with my GM, but he's pretty supportive of me and I think I can be quite persuasive. Um, but I just think we need to challenge MB uh, in, in some things, and this thing was important. And I've heard the argument that, oh, well, you know, there are bigger issues. Well, this to me has, was a big enough issue to challenge MB, MB on. And, and getting a win um, would, would, would have just been a good, uh, good to just show them that we can, we, ask, we can stand up if we disagree. We're not all going to roll over and, and do everything. I'm not, I'm not of the view that uh, you, you make everything a battle and you fight with them. I'm, I'm definitely of the view that you work with them, including the TEs, including the auditors, great relationship with them. But you don't, they're not, they're not, they don't, they're not perfect. You know, they do need to be challenged. Goodness me, at the last audit we were told that, you know, the building code handbook was out of date and you couldn't use it. That turned out to be wrong. So you have to stand up to them sometimes if yeah. it's important. And it was important. This issue is important because it cost thousands and thousands of dollars, I'm sure, for Alpha Objective to change the system and come up with a process. And they kept on getting rejected because they weren't happy with it. And, you know, and what was it all about? It was all about the blinking clock starting because they didn't have a final inspection. I mean, what, what we might be able to do is, is reach out to MB and, and see whether they might want to, uh, to come on this show and, and give their perspective on it. You can always ask. Uh, I, I wouldn't. Um, it might be unlikely, but I, I'd be happy to ask because it would be fascinating to get their their perspective on on this issue and and a number of others. But um, let's let's see let's see on that. And yeah, the other thing is I'd, I'd be really keen to get another whoever is out there listening, going, "Oh, Ian's wrong. He's barking at, barking up the wrong trees. He's got the wrong end of the stick." Someone else to come in and. Um, and, and tell us why, because that's that's sort of the purpose behind this this podcast is to um, identify some interesting issues and where there is a difference in opinion, airing that opinion amongst our uh, our peers. Because yeah, I, I'm in the unique position of of hearing a lot of stuff from up and down the country, and more often than not, it's the same issues cropping up over and over again. Yeah, I, well, I, I just see Nathan that it wasn't a big deal to to challenge it. Um, you know, the cost of challenging it would have been would have been reasonable. Um, it didn't mean uh, that we were um, you know falling out with uh, with IANS or with MB. It just meant that we were trying to refine the uh, understanding of the law and its interpretation, and hopefully bring some common sense into the matter. Um, it wasn't wasn't really a big deal. It should have been challenged. It was worth it. And it still is worth it. And it, look, and, and that's the thing. We, we, we can talk about that off air. It's probably not the, the most appropriate forum for this discussion right now, but the, the, the idea of, of pushing things down the determination route, it's, it's not a silly one. Uh, the whole reason MB, the de determination process is there is to resolve questions of uncertainty around the code or the act and it's always just a matter of can you package it into one of those two uh, options for the matter for matters to be determined under 177 of, of the act and that's always the the challenge but uh, look I have had a previous experience of uh, getting a hypothetical determination across the line uh, and and to be considered by MB so there there are ways to to have it done well, I, I think it's worthwhile, and I think I certainly think they'll be they, they would have got a bit of a fright um, in the in the last uh, you know district court appeal um, that they do need to be careful and get things right. And um, uh, if there was a um, a willingness to to go, you know, depending on what they what they came up with and their arguments and how they how they um, how they uh, evaluated and assessed that section of the act, because. It's not. It's not. I don't think it's complex. It's just they're just going to be looking at the wording of the act. Um, but uh, if it if it did get to the district court, I think that there'd be a little bit more of a, a wider scope to 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 examine. Um, you know the the issue around uh, what what it actually. You know whose responsibility is it to. Um, so. Yeah, look, and that's that's fascinating. Thanks for that. I mean, time is marching on here, and I'm conscious you probably want to go to bed, Ian. But um, I'm I'm just interested in 
what you see the the challenge, you know, what is on the horizon for for Tasman's building uh, team at the moment? What what can you see the the big issues are putting aside COVID nineteen? Um, I think we may, there's going to be quite a quite a few challenges, like everybody uh, when we get back, because uh, um, I think that's been a bit of a wake up call to everybody about what can happen and um, the systems. Um, it's going to be take a bit of a while to catch up. Um, you know, inspections are are going to be zeroed again, so there's going to be quite a quite a, uh, a busy time uh, for the first couple of months. I think getting getting back on on an even keel again. Um, um, the the advantage that we're going to try to get out of this is to get ahead of our training, so that shouldn't be a shouldn't be too much of an issue. I think the biggest challenge and the most rewarding uh, uh, experience that I have had, uh, and I had it in Kuiper as well as working with the, with the customers, working with the designers, building up those relationships, going knocking on their doors, sitting down with them, and I've had um, I've had such good experiences with that. That once they understand you, the reasons why you're doing what you're doing, why are you asking for that, why do you need that documentation, why do you need this process or procedure. And when you um, you know start to explain to them when you're dealing with hundreds and hundreds and thousands of pieces of documentation, you have to have extremely good processes and procedures in place that have to fit um, to make your processes as efficient as possible because you're dealing with so many varied applications and uh, and it's in designers' interests and builders' interests to actually you know form that partnership, understand where those uh, where those uh, responsibilities are. And um, stay within your lanes, and uh, and and work together because um, you know it's, it's it's a cliche I know, but we really are in it together. And uh, there's a lot of pressure on them, financial pressure on them. Um, but more efficiently we can do it, um, the better better it's going to be for everybody. That's the biggest challenge, I think. Great way to end the uh, the, the the chat. I really appreciate that. Before we do sign off, there's a, just a couple of questions that I uh, I want to throw into the mix that have absolutely nothing to do with building or, or local government. <laughs> um, but you've already, just off air, you you let on to me that uh, you're a bit of a closet guitar player. Is that right? Yeah, it is. I, I haven't played for quite a long time, but uh, I kind of passed it over to my sons, actually. They've well, it's well exceeded my abilities now, but uh, I still, uh, you know, I love my music and and my guitar. Well, I, I hope you haven't passed the Martin down. That's, that's oh no, uh, I <laughs> oh good, good. What is it a double O something? Yes, it is. I can't even remember the actual code now, but it's a it's a dreadnaughty type one. Nice, Got nice. A lot of money, but uh, it's uh, beautiful. And and you were saying that you used to play in bands as well, is that right? Yeah, I was mainly a singer actually. Although I, I did play um, a lot of lead guitar, I, I used to have a, a gold top actually, Les Paul uh, gold oh, top. Wow. I had for it for a few years, and Jimmy Page was my hero as Led Zeppelin. I used to do a lot of singing actually. People used to say I used to sing like Robert Plant. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> look. I'm going to find a uh, well. It won't be a YouTube clip. It'll be a VHS. If that, right, Ian? <laughs> link it. Link it down below. Everyone would love to see you with your long hair and head banging to Zeppelin. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, I had some great fun, but uh, and I still love the music too. I think music is, is great. Yeah, yeah, great thing to do outside of work. So. I want you to tell us a book or an album or, or some other cultural recommendation that um, you can you can push us towards. What are you, what are you uh, reading? What are you, to? Eh? what are you reading or what are you listening to? Um, in terms of music, I, I, I suppose one of my favourite albums has always been uh, um, album four of uh, Led Zeppelin, the old man with the sticks on his back. Nice. Um, yeah, so it's really what of uh, what stands out as a as a, as, a, as an album. I mean, I like uh, I like uh, Steve uh, Steve Vine as a guitarist. Oh wow! Yeah, so you're into the shredding, are you? 
to a, to a point, I think he's probably a little bit too technical for me, but I think things like Sweet Surrender is just amazing. I can listen to that uh, uh, over and over again. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, where's the, the best place you've, you've been in the past 12 months? Apart from Tasman, of course. I mean, you, you've, you've come to Tasman recently, right? You, you must be finding out all of the, uh, the new things to do in your hood. Oh yeah! Look, uh, this is a we. This is probably would come close to one of the most beautiful places we've ever been. We're um, discovering there. Um, you know, going to various places, Takaka, and we went out to the Spit a few months back, and um, it's it's a lovely place. It really is beautiful. I mean, we, I we, I lived in Queenstown, Maritime. I've Central Otago. Okay. If I had to choose probably between the two, there's something about the Central Otago landscape that I, I really love. Um, we went for a trip down there um, a few months back um, in a little a little historical cottage in the Clyde and uh, did a bit of travelling around that Central Otago area, called a place called Ofer, which is fantastic. It's just a beautiful little gold town, deserted almost, but, uh, you know, got a historical town there. Love that. Beautiful. And finally, if you weren't working for a council, what do you think you'd be doing? Oh, goodness me, that's been such an intense part of my last nine years. Um, what would I be doing? Well, goodness me, I, I, I'm not not too many years off before I'm retirement age. So, um, yeah, I love Australia. I'd, I'd love to travel. I think I'd love to do a road trip on Australia. Actually, I'm thinking about a Triumph motorbike. I haven't awesome. told my wife yet. <laughs> well, she might she might listen to this, or although oh. she won't want to hear you ranting on for an hour. <laughs> well, every time I reach, she, she gets a bit suspicious when I'm when she's in the lounge with me, and I'm got my computer open. When I reach over and pick up my earmuffs, she doesn't know that I've been listening to her listening to a whole lot of reviews on the difference between a T100 and a T120. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've made my mind up. It's going to be one or the other, but I think I don't think I can afford the T120. But I think I'll be, uh, I'd, what, I, what I'd love to do, I'd love to do a long road trip on a, on a T100 or a T120 Triumph. Yeah. Awesome. I, across Australia, I take it? That's the Yeah, across Australia, yeah. New Zealand, but yeah, Australia, I'd like to do it. But um, yeah. I'd, I'd go... Um, uh, South Island, I particularly like to do a bit of exploring on a motorbike, actually. Awesome, awesome. Well, you, you should definitely do that. Don't tell your wife I said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might, you, she might see you saying it. You saying Yeah, it. exactly, exactly. I, I might be in trouble next. <laughs> hey, look, Ian, I, I really appreciate you taking the time tonight. And um, I know it's been a bit all over the show, but... Um, I think you've got some really interesting perspectives and hopefully we do get some comments and criticism by our peers about uh, your master plan with MB. Wow, happy, happy, happy with criticism and um, always love trying to tease out the best, uh, best, uh, best ideas. Um, one thing that you learn in, in this industry, there's so much that you have to know. Um, you know, you, you've you, you've got to get over being wrong, um, very very quickly to get anywhere. Yeah, well said. And yeah. thank you very much. You have a good night, and I really appreciate it. Hey, good on you, Nathan. Cheers. Good night, man. Thank you. Thank you.